Our lesson this morning is from the third chapter of the book of Acts, the first ten verses of that chapter. Hear these words. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer at three o'clock in the afternoon. And a man lame from birth was being carried in. People would lay him daily at the gate of the temple called the Beautiful Gate so that he could ask for alms for those who were entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked them for alms. Peter looked intently at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Jumping up, he stood and began to walk, and entering the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized him as one who used to sit and ask for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. When we read scripture, either in worship or at home, we put ourselves in the text. We may not consciously do it, but we, we sort of arrive there. And they're very familiar stories like um, in Luke 15, the story Jesus told of the young man who went off into the far country and spent his father's living on, his father's money, inheritance on riotous living. And then he comes to himself. Well, a lot of us have been that younger son. We've gone off into the far country. We've done things that have squandered resources. We have found ourselves about to put our faces in the middle of the pig trough. And we come to ourselves. Well, waiting at home is the father. Waiting for that son to return. And some people are waiting. They're waiting for something to be reconciled. They're waiting for a child to come back home. They're waiting for a child to come to their senses. They're waiting and watching and hoping. There's a third character in the story, the older brother, who's kind of like this guy. He's not happy with anybody. He's not happy his brother left. He's not happy his brother came home. He's not happy his father received the brother. And there's some in life that just aren't happy. So this morning, I'm going to speculate about some people in this text, and I do that because I think in a way we, we launch ourselves at a certain level into the text. We become one of the characters or we identify more closely with one of the characters. Let's start with Simon Peter. You relate Simon Peter 
At Caesarea Philippi, Jesus asked, who do people say that I am? And they ran through the Gallup poll survey. Some say you're Elijah, some say John the Baptist, some say another of the prophets. And Peter said, but you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to Peter, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, my father in heaven. You shall be called Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. And there's Peter. Woohoo! he got it right. And then Jesus continues and says, you need to know that I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die. In three days, I'll be raised from the dead. And there comes Simon Peter to confront Jesus with his bad theology. Simon Peter opens mouth A, inserts foot B. You ever put your foot in your mouth? I bet you've never put your foot in your mouth right here. I have put my foot in my mouth in the pulpit, videotaped. It was terrible. Have you ever been in that place where you wanted to speak a holy word, but what came out was profane? You wanted to say the right thing, but it was taken all wrong? I identify with Simon Peter. Or Peter, the night of the storm, he wants to get out of that boat. He's a fisherman. He knows the storms on the Sea of Galilee, and he's afraid of this one. And he sees Jesus walking toward him, and he says, Lord, let, let me come to you. I want to get out of this boat. And Jesus said, come on, Simon. And Simon got out of the boat. And Simon is the first human being ever to walk on water. And Simon walked on the water. And he's walking toward Jesus. And Matthew says, and he feels the wind. You had high faith, high hope. You were living close to God. You were doing absolutely what you needed to do. You had your eyes on Jesus. You were navigating through the storm. And you felt the wind. You felt life close in on you. You felt options start shrinking. You felt the guys in the boat looking at you, and suddenly, rather than walking on the water, you're knee-deep in the water, and pretty soon you're hip-deep in the water. Have you ever felt yourself sinking? Despite your Christian faith, you just feel like you're going down. And Jesus has to come and snatch you up. Or maybe you've had that moment like Simon Peter in the courtyard by the fire, the girl comes up to him and says, you're one of them. Peter says, no, I'm not. She gets him again. You're one of them. No, I'm not. I know you've been following Jesus. I have not been following Jesus. And the cock crows three times. And Peter remembers the words of Jesus that before the cock crows, you'll deny me three times. You ever denied Jesus? Have you ever not lived up to the expectations you had for yourself or you expectations you believe God had for you? So I relate to Simon Peter at this point, but Peter goes on. Peter gets redeemed. Peter gets saved. Peter finds Jesus. The Holy Spirit finds Peter. And Peter becomes a phenomenal preacher. 3,000 people join the church after the first sermon. That's a way to start a sermon right there. Yeah, I'd like that then Peter becomes a miracle worker. He becomes a vessel of the Holy Spirit. He becomes an instrument of God. He lifts this lame man up by his right hand and he says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. I want to be a miracle worker. I want to be a good preacher. I want to be an instrument of the Holy Spirit used to transform lives. So we jump in this text and we find there's Simon Peter. 
I relate to Simon Peter. John's there. That's it. John's there. It's almost like we had to tell you John was there because he's really there, but he has no purpose in the story. He doesn't do anything. He doesn't speak anything. He doesn't lift anybody up. He doesn't lay hands on anybody. He doesn't skip, jump, run into the temple. He's just there. You ever felt like you were just there? Yeah. Some Sundays, that's what God calls me to do, just be there. Now, I'm supposed to preach, but I end up just being there, and you know those Sundays. Some Sundays, you're called to just be there. There's another whole category of people in the story. They're not mentioned, but they're there, and they're the ones who help the beggar get to the beautiful gate. I'm going to say something about them later on. But then there's the beggar. Who wants to identify with being a beggar? Beggars are poor. In point of fact, we have nothing that's ours except that which is given to us. As a matter of fact, the very next breath you will draw is the gift of God. And without that gift of God, you don't draw the breath. Beggars are often in rags. Scripture tells us our best effort at righteousness are filthy rags when compared to God. Beggars are sometimes blind. And sometimes we are too. We can't see God who's right here in front of us because we're looking at something else. And sometimes beggars, like the one in our text, are lame. But we've been limping through life since the Garden of Eden. We bear the marks of Adam and Eve's sin in our souls. So what I want to suggest is We're the beggars. But there's good news. This beggar was in the right place. This beggar is by the beautiful gate of the temple. The beggar, if you allow me, was at least in church. And whether it's good church, bad church, traditional church, Contemporary church, whether it's Taze church or contemplative church, whether the church is singing praises to God or singing with blasphemous apathy, whether the preaching is sound and good, whether the, the people are friendly or not, he was in church. And church is the place I most often find Jesus. The church is the place I most often see him through you. And the beggar was there at the right time. He was there at three o'clock in the afternoon when all the Methodists were going to temple. Well, anyway, three o'clock in the afternoon, prime beggar time. If you're collecting alms, you want to be there when the crowd is going in. They've still got their offerings in their pockets. You have a chance to separate them from their money. There are prime beggars here in Ruston, Louisiana. You know where they sit? Going out of Walmart, right next to the Toyota dealership. Do you know when they're there? Lunchtime. 
Uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah, uh, they're getting the, the McDonald's crowd circling through. They're getting the people who are going to Walmart when none of the other people are there. I've decided what I'm going to do. I see them all the time. So what I'm going to do, if they're listening to me, I'm going to get a bunch of $5 bills, and I'm going to staple a piece of paper to it. I'm going to say Trinity Methodist Church with the address we worship at 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock and 11 o'clock. You're welcome. Come see us. I'm going to give them $5 with that attached to the $5 bill. You want to join me? Let's invite some beggars to church. They need to be here. But some of those beggars, man, they are strategic. They've got their signs, and they may be beggars, but those signs look like they are professionally lettered. They've got their kids on either side of them, and the kids have fans and bottled water. They are not struggling. This beggar is at the temple at the right time, and he makes the right request. He looks at Peter and John, and he begs for alms. He begs for money. At least he's making a request. Alexander the Great liked to feel that his subjects could come to him with any matter. He wanted to feel like their king. And one day this saucy little beggar came up to him and had an audience with Alexander and asked him for a farm for himself, a new house for his wife, a dowry for his daughter, and an education for his son. And Alexander the Great granted all the man's requests. And when the man left, a member of the court said, why did you let that imprudent little fella have it all? Why did you let him get away with asking you for so much? And Alexander is purported to replied, I liked it that he treated me like a king. He asked big. What are you asking God for? What are you going before the king of kings and the Lord of lords and what are you asking him for? What are your requests? This beggar, the old adage is he begged for alms and he got working legs. He got a miracle because he was in the right place at the right time. He made the right request. And he had the right attitude. The right attitude. The beggar bugged me all week. I was having a conversation on Friday and it suddenly occurred to me, what about the beggar I related to? You know what drove this man, encouraged this man, kept this man going to the beautiful gate for all those years? He had hope. His expectations may have become small at that point, 
I'm sure as a, a child, he had hope that when he grew up, he would outgrow whatever was going on with his legs. And maybe as a young man, he had hope that there would be some cure or something would happen to him. He had hope that it would happen, but the hope started fading and his expectations became smaller and smaller and smaller, but he still had it. It was still driving him. It was still inspiring him and encouraging him to keep going, to keep living, even if that living was sitting by that beautiful gate begging for alms. Think of what he likely saw. He likely knew Peter and John. He very likely had seen them before. He very likely had seen Jesus. You can surmise or opine that he'd heard Jesus preach. You can even suggest to me that he'd been there and seen Jesus overturn the temple, uh, the money changers in the temple. Day by day, this man showed up. He was driven by hope. The hope was driven by love. The people bringing him, his family, his friends, they loved him. That perhaps was all they could do for him, was just locate him from his home to this place where he could beg. And you start listening to Paul describe love, and in the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians, Paul says, love is patient, love is kind, love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It does not rejoice at wrong, but rejoices in the right. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things. What are you hoping for this morning? What is it you're hoping for? Are you like the father in the prodigal story, son? You're hoping for reconciliation. You're hoping for somebody to come home. Are you hoping that God will show you clearly what he wants to do, you to do? Are you hoping that you will experience powerfully God's love and mercy and grace and you'll be given the gift of surety? that you know Christ? What is your hope? The noun hope does not appear in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's not there. Why isn't it in the four Gospels? Who's in the four Gospels? Jesus. Don't need hope if you got Jesus. The thief on the cross, you remember him? He has no hope. He has no hope of getting off that cross alive. He has no hope of seeing his family again. He has no hope of watching his children grow old. He has no hope of being forgiven for his crimes or his sins. He has no hope. But he's got Jesus. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. So that man who had no hope is now walking the streets of eternity in heaven because he had Jesus. Our hope anchors us to Jesus. The writer of Hebrews says it this way. 
we who have taken refuge might be strongly encouraged to seize the hope set before us. We have this hope, a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters the inner shrine behind the curtain where Jesus has entered. Hope is an anchor? I want a warm and fuzzy image for hope. I don't want hope to be an anchor. I need it to be light and ethereal. But hope is an anchor. It's a strong anchor. I don't know how it happened. Siri is listening to me. This morning, about 5.30, I was having one of those, eh, I finished the sermon, it's all written out, time for me to piddle a minute, and I'm scrolling through Facebook, and I get to the reels, because I like watching the dog stories, okay? I'm, I'm all about the dog that gets rescued. There's a story about anchors and aircraft carriers and how an anchor keeps an aircraft carrier in place, how a five-ton anchor keeps a 120-ton ship from moving. And I thought, this is either the Holy Spirit or Siri, and sometimes Siri is an instrument of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Trust me. But I thought about a time we went on a cruise, and I remember the cruise because... We took the two kids, it was our last cruise as a family, and Allison was studying for the bar exam. So rather than going on the cruise ship with a lot of luggage, she lugged a bunch of law books. And she said, I'm going to spend all the time in the room, I'm going to study for the bar exam. No, she didn't. She just lugged books. And we got to Cozumel, and it's before they built the piers in Cozumel, and the ships had to anchor offshore, and they tendered you on the shore in the little boats and you spent your day in Cozumel being separated from your money. And Tamara and the kids said, we're going in to shop. Do you want to go? And my answer was, of course, no, I don't want to go shop with you people. I'm going to sit here and do something exciting. And I read Edward's book, The 20 Centuries of Preaching. It's just a page-turning book on the history of homiletics. I'm reading, and the, the ship's anchored, and I'm sitting on the balcony, and I'm looking, and I notice the scenery keeps changing. You know, I have not been to the bar to get an adult beverage. I'm just reading about Puritan preachers and nonconformist preachers and all this other stuff, and, and the scenery is doing this, and I'm, what's going on? Well, I also remember that because uh, Tamara and Allison and Andrew did not set their watches to ship's time. They were an hour behind ship's time, and they were on the last tender getting on the boat. And I'm thinking, I wonder if they're going to be able to get a plane flight to wherever we're going next because they're going to miss the ship. Later in the day, on one of the big screens, they showed what the three ships that were all anchored beside each other were doing. And it was a time-lapse video, and the ships were moving port to starboard as the winds moved them. They were not moving front back, port starboard. And those big cruise ships, all of them at least a 1,000 feet long, were held in place by an anchor. Hope is the anchor that holds us in place. Hope is the anchor that holds us in Christ. 
Hope is the anchor that no matter what storm might be facing us, because we have hope and because our hope is not found in us, our hope is found in Christ. We have the certainty that the storm will not destroy us, that it will not overwhelm us. The 146th Psalm begins and ends with the same Hebrew word, hallelujah, and it's translated praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God all my life long. Do not, do not put your trust in princes and mortals in whom there is no help. With their, when their breath departs, they return to the earth. And on that very day, their plans perish. Happy are those whose help is in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God, who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the strangers. He upholds the orphans and the widows. And yes, by the way, the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. So hope in the Lord your God. Our hope is not ethereal. It's not something we dream up. Our hope is concrete. It's in the person, in the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I submit we're beggars. We were once blind, but now we see. We were once lame, but now we walk. We were once dirty, but now we're clean. We were once bound, but now we're free. We were once sinners, but now we're saved because we were beggars who were surrounded by people who loved us, who prayed for us, who brought us to church, who told us about Jesus. And our hope told us we could have this, and our faith made it possible. Would you stand and pray with me? We are beggars before the throne of grace, seeking love, reconciliation, seeking your presence in our midst. O oh God, we come offering nothing but ourselves, our hearts and our hopes. Take us and mold us as your will directs. We pray in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Trinity Podcast. To find out more about Trinity, visit us online at www.trinityreston.org.